Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode contains distressing themes profanity and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. As Britain began to recover from the Great Depression, the lack of employment led to a rise in crime, and gangs operated under cover of darkness, cracking safes in businesses across London. The outbreak of the Second World War in 1939 plummeted the nation into a period of uncertainty and turmoil. While young soldiers fought valiantly on the front lines across Nazi-occupied Europe, each nation utilised its own secret network of spies to try and infiltrate enemy forces and gather information using covert tactics in an effort to win the war. Civilians lived in fear of invasion and listened intently to radio broadcasts about the insurmountable loss of life across the globe all too aware that they could become the next casualties of war. Welcome to They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is the 29th in a series of bonus episodes. In the early hours of the morning in mid-December 1942, a couple living in rural East Anglia were awoken by the terrifying sound of a low-flying plane overhead. They peered out of their windows into the darkness and were startled to see a man dressed in military uniform walking towards their home. The individual asked them for help and appeared to be injured. Although they were wary, 
The uniformed man's English accent put them at ease as they believed he was one of their own. The couple readily agreed to assist the muddied and bloodied soldier in contacting local officers at Ely Police Station. When assistance arrived, the soldier refused to answer any questions and asked to contact the British Intelligence Service. While awaiting MI5 officers, the man was searched and amongst his belongings was a large quantity of money a radio transmitter, two boxes containing detonators, a pistol and 34 rounds of ammunition, chocolate, a spade to bury his parachute, stolen ID cards from other soldiers and a cyanide tablet. Once the British Intelligence Service heard about a parachutist demanding to speak with them, they transported the individual from the police station to Camp 020 an internment area for captured enemy spies near London. The commander assigned to interview the soldier was Lieutenant Colonel Robin Stevens, an experienced interrogator known as Tinai because of the steel-rimmed monocle he was never seen without. MI5 were expecting a Nazi spy to arrive and the man in the interview room seemed to match a description they had decoded in messages about an agent named Fritzian, or Agent Fritz. Experts had managed to crack the transmission about Agent Fritz's training from the Abwehr, the German secret service. MI5 knew the individual in question was a young man who spoke fluent English. He also had several gold teeth, inserted after a botched parachute training exercise that delayed his deployment into Britain. The man sitting across from Lieutenant Colonel Stevens said that his real name was Eddie Chapman, and he had been recruited by the German forces after serving time in prison on the occupied Channel Islands. Over the next 48 hours... Chapman relayed his life story and his mission from the Germans who had spent months training him to be their top spy. Edward Chapman was born in a small Durham village in November 1914. The eldest of three children raised in a turbulent and impoverished household, Chapman left his hometown at the first opportunity and joined the Coldstream Guards. When his mother died of tuberculosis in the early 1930s, Chapman went AWOL. He began hanging around Soho, where he became acquainted with some of London's criminal underworld. Chapman was an accomplished thief, and was soon involved with the notorious Jellignite Gang. The Jelly Gang, as they were sometimes known, used explosives to blow open safes in several premises across the capital. The gang would insert high-powered explosives through the keyhole of a safe which would be fired by a fuse, blowing the door outwards, allowing them to retrieve the contents and escape before anyone realised there had been a robbery. In 1937, Scotland Yard announced they were actively hunting the Jelly Gang and tracking their criminal exploits. 
footprints found at some of the crime scenes indicated that three men were involved in the gang's activities. But the sheer volume of similar thefts across West London suggested the gang constituted a far greater number. Six members of the flying squad were assigned to track down the culprits under the supervision of Chief Inspector Parker. The explosives used during the commission of the thefts were believed to have been stolen from factories and mines around the southeast. Upwards of £3,000 had been stolen within a three-month period by October 1938, and Eddie Chapman did well to avoid detection as he flaunted his newfound wealth in clubs around London. It was at a social club where he met Betty Farmer, a farmer's daughter who had left a large family behind in Shropshire when she moved to London on her own in her early twenties. Chapman was tall, handsome and charming, and he easily led Betty to believe he was working in the film industry with his roommate at the time, Terence Young. Young would go on to achieve fame by directing several James Bond films, but Chapman would eventually participate in a far more realistic espionage experience than the notorious spy movies. Chapman and Betty went out often, but when he was away blowing up safes with the Jelly Gang, Betty thought he was making a living in the film industry. By late 1938... The police were cracking down on the Jelly Gang, and Chapman was a wanted man. He had broken into several Odeon cinemas with two other men, and the police had finally discovered their identities. Not wanting to stand trial for over 30 charges, Chapman fled to Edinburgh, where he was caught red-handed after breaking into an office building. He was released on bail in early 1939 and quickly made his way back to Betty. Chapman asked her if she wanted to take a trip to Jersey and she was only too happy to go along with him. Chapman had plans to flee to Monte Carlo and then on to South America where he would be far from the reach of the authorities back home. At the beginning of February 1939, Betty Farmer and Eddie Chapman were enjoying a meal at Jersey's Hotel de la Plage with Chapman's friends George Darry and Hugh Anson, who were also members of the Jelly Gang. As they sat together, Chapman noticed men in dark clothing enter the restaurant. They were policemen who had been alerted to the presence of the wanted men on the island by a letter George Darry had sent his girlfriend back on the mainland. As the officers approached their table, Chapman stood up, leaned over to kiss Betty and jumped through a window pane before running down the beach. Darry and Anson were quickly apprehended before they realised what was happening. Betty was brought in for questioning. Chapman managed to evade the officers that pursued him along the promenade, and he hid in an empty school while he waited for dusk. 
Later on that day, he went to a boarding house and arranged to stay there for the night. The following morning, his photograph and description were published in the local papers, and he knew he needed to obtain some money if he wanted to get the next boat to Europe. Chapman made his way to a nightclub where he had been with Betty during the week they had spent in Jersey before the police caught up with them. Once inside, Chapman managed to pry open a safe in the office and steal just over £15. He returned to the boarding house, but had not been sleeping long when officers arrived to arrest him. The landlady had seen the news articles and alerted the police, and Chapman saw no point in resisting arrest. After all, one charge of theft in Jersey would get him less time than the almost 40 charges he would face if he was flown back to the mainland like George Darry and Hugh Anson. A Jersey police court the following morning, Chapman asked that Betty be allowed to go home. He said in court, I have a girlfriend here, and it is a rather embarrassing position for her as she has been questioned and watched by the police. She knows nothing of why we were here. May she be allowed to leave the island? The magistrate replied, If your friend had been wise, she would have gone already. The police have nothing against her. Betty returned to the UK and tried to move on with her life, embarrassed by the spectacle Eddie Chapman had caused. Chapman was remanded into custody while he awaited trial for the robbery at the West Park Pavilion nightclub. Anson and Darry were brought before a judge in Bournemouth, charged with theft when they stole over £475 a week earlier. A hotel vacuum cleaner used to tidy their room in Jersey contained evidence that linked them to the crime, and sawdust similar to the ballast of the safe they had blown was found in their coat pockets. They were charged with theft and other crimes in which Chapman was also named as a co-conspirator, but Darry and Anson would serve their time on the mainland and receive a much longer sentence than Chapman would in Jersey. Eddie Chapman was ordered to serve two years of hard labour, but three months later in July 1939, Chapman managed to escape. Since his imprisonment, Chapman had been a model prisoner. He was allowed to work as a servant to the prisoner governor, Captain Foster. On July 6th, he stole clothes from a suitcase the governor's son had left in an office and managed to scale a 50-foot wall before hailing a taxi. Chapman headed straight for the airport but just missed the plane to England, so he hid in a cave on the beach at Plamont Bay. Mrs Bennett operated a tea room at Plamont and she noticed a man matching Chapman's description walking along the shore with a shrimping net. Constable Golding was one of the first officers to arrive, and he was about to search one of the caves when Chapman tried to push past him. In the scuffle with Chapman, Constable Golding called out for assistance, 
and other officers searching the beach ran to his aid. They managed to overpower Chapman and handcuff him. It is reported that Chapman had sticks of gelignite and numerous detonators in his pocket, which he had stolen from a nearby quarry. Following his arrest, another year was added to his sentence. While Chapman was in prison, World War II broke out, and he was securely behind bars when the Germans invaded the Channel Islands in the summer of 1940. While enemy forces never occupied any parts of the UK, the Channel Islands are a crown dependency, so Chapman used this to his advantage. He thought of an idea to avoid being sent back to face another jail term in England once he was released in October 1941. Chapman and a friend, Tony Faramus, wrote a letter to the Germans and offered to work as spies. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. 
And now Scent Air is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit scentair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Scent Air diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Scent Air app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Eddie Chapman was an ideal spy for the Third Reich. He was a British man who claimed to hate his own country because it wanted to prosecute him. Many of the spies in the Abwehr or German Secret Service sent to the UK had been quickly arrested and detained at Camp 020, but Chapman seemed eager to earn money while helping to fight his own country. After spending some time in Romanville at a concentration camp in Paris, Chapman was taken to meet a Dr. Stephen Roman, who would become his trainer in the art of espionage. Chapman was interviewed about why he wanted to work for Germany and spoke about his area of expertise, explosives. He was told he would be trained in intelligence work, sabotage and radio transmitting before being tasked with a mission in Britain. If he succeeded, he would be given a substantial amount of money. Never one to turn down a profitable job, Chapman agreed, but friend Tony Faramus would be kept in France as an incentive for Chapman to succeed. Chapman was taken to a house in West France that served as the Abwehr's spy training school where he was treated like royalty. Given the codename Agent Fritzian, Chapman's progress as a spy in training was communicated between agents in the German army through transmitted messages, intercepted and decoded by British intelligence officers. MI5 did not know Chapman's true identity or much of what was being sent along the wire. One message read, Bobby the pig now gorges like a king roars like a lion and shits like an elephant. The intelligence officers who had intercepted the message sent by Chapman, used the code name Fritz, thought it to be a coded communication. In reality, Chapman had in fact obtained a pet pig, which he called Bobby, named after the slang term for police officers in London. Dr. Horman and Chapman became friends during the year they worked together, as Chapman was trained for a mission to stop the production of the British forces bomber plane known as the Mosquito. Chapman was told that if he attacked the de Havilland Aircraft Company, which had a factory in Hertfordshire, he would receive 150,000 Reichsmarks, the equivalent of around £7,000 in today's money. 
Chapman agreed and continued practicing parachuting and sabotage, anticipating his drop into the UK. During one parachute training session, Chapman landed on his face and broke a number of teeth, which were replaced by the Germans with gold. This information was intercepted by British intelligence, who knew to expect a man with gold teeth. In December 1942, Eddie Chapman was flown over the southeast of England and jumped from the plane before deploying his parachute and landing in a rural area in the middle of the night. He was expected to meet up with his criminal contacts back in London, but instead he presented himself to the police and MI5 and told them everything he knew from his time with the Abwehr. In his statement, Chapman said, By way of sabotage, I was given one thing to do. He had to destroy the machine room at the Hatfield Aircraft Factory, and he knew the Germans could conduct aerial surveillance to check if he had completed his mission. After that, he would be sent to the US with other German army spies to complete an even bigger job. MI5 were able to corroborate most of Chapman's account from the intelligence they had gathered in the decoded messages. They also discovered that the man Chapman had known as Dr. Roman was actually Stephen von Hunning, one of the highest-ranking members of the German Secret Service. Those who interviewed Chapman at Camp 020 wrote a letter to Lieutenant Colonel Stevens and recommended him to work as a double agent. The letter read, Chapman genuinely wants to work for the British against the Germans. By his courage and resourcefulness, he is ideally fitted to be an agent. If he is to be used, it is essential there should be no delay in starting him off. In our opinion, Chapman should be used to the fullest extent. Two days after he landed back in the UK, Chapman was given the nickname Agent Zigzag. Eddie Chapman had some requests before he agreed to work for British intelligence. He wanted a complete pardon for all of the crimes he was accused of before the war. He wanted to be allowed to keep the money the Germans would pay him and he wanted to ensure his friend Tony Faramus would be safe. This meant that Chapman had to trick the Germans into believing he had successfully completed his mission, so under the supervision of Captain Ronnie Reed, Chapman made contact with his German handlers to tell them he had landed safely and was with friends. MI5 could not risk Chapman disappearing, so while he was allowed to work as an agent, he was kept under constant supervision in conditions far less comfortable than his time with the Abwehr. British intelligence also had to make it seem like Chapman had sabotaged the aircraft factory, so they enlisted the help of an illusionist to do so. Jasper Maskelyne was a magician before the war. Once the Allies declared they would fight against the Nazis, 
He worked in camouflage development. In late January 1943, the enormous illusion operation began at de Havilland. The experts worked from the early hours of the morning until 11pm. Chapman's MI5 handler Captain Reed wrote a report about the incident, which read, The camouflage was excellent, and the impression gained was that aerial photography from any height above 2,000 feet would show considerable devastation without creating any suspicion. Replicas of factory parts had been constructed and placed around the building to give the illusion that they had been blown from their position. The equipment was covered with netting and sheets of iron painted black, so it appeared as though there was a large hole in the building. Debris was scattered everywhere, and paint and tarpaulin were used to disguise the building and make it look like it had been destroyed when viewed by any German aerial surveillance operators. Captain Reed said, In the position of the notional substation, the other two transformers were lying as if damaged, surrounded by chaos, and the wall of the nearby brick building had been covered with two tarpaulins, one apparently to keep out the rain, the other painted as if a large hole had been blown in the wall. The wooden fence surrounding these transformers was lying smashed on the ground, and the earth had been disturbed as if by an explosion. The whole picture was very convincing, so much so that the operator in charge of the small boiler house near the swimming pool had arrived that morning in a state of great excitement because he thought his machinery had been hit by a bomb during the night. Newspapers agreed to publish fake articles that reported that a factory had been bombed overnight. Chapman's Abwehr handlers were convinced that he had successfully completed the mission, and they told him to make his way back to France. A few months later, Eddie Chapman boarded a British merchant ship, the city of Lancaster, using a false name and working as a steward. The captain had been informed that his new employee was actually an MI5 agent who would be deserting the ship when it docked in Portugal, which had remained neutral during the war. Once in Lisbon, Chapman went to the German embassy and spoke with the Abwehr representative about his mission in the UK. He was immediately tasked with another sabotage operation. He was to return to the ship and plant a bomb disguised as a piece of coal in the engine room. Chapman agreed to do this for 20,000 Reichsmarks. Intelligence officers back in the UK watching messages about the new mission be transmitted were horrified at the thought that their double agent had turned on Britain once again. They did not need to worry. Chapman gave the bomb to the ship's captain and went to an Abwehr safe house in Norway with more money in his pocket. His espionage trainer Stephen von Hunning met him in Oslo and presented him with Germany's highest military award for his service, the Iron Cross. 
but the next year Chapman lived the high life in Oslo, staying in a large house with other spies and partying regularly at local hotspots. It was at one of these bars he met a young woman named Dagmar Lalem, a Norwegian who was one of the very few locals who would entertain a supposed Nazi. Chapman fell in love with Dagmar and confessed that he was actually a double agent working for the British Intelligence Service. She agreed to help him compile information and photographs of those who came to the safe house. In June 1944, Chapman was sent back to the UK with a new mission, but he promised to return and marry Dagmar once the war ended. After parachuting into Cambridgeshire in late June, Chapman once again sought a telephone to contact the police. The officer on the other end of the line did not believe Chapman's assertion that he was a double agent who had just landed in the UK and told him to go to bed. Eventually, the British intelligence service were contacted and Chapman was brought back to London to tell MI5 everything he had learned since he returned to work with the Germans. Chapman had managed to collect photographs of members of the Abwehr and information about their operations, but he had been sent to Britain on a mission, and he was eager to collect the payment he was promised. Chapman had been tasked with reporting on the bombing raids in London, helping the Nazis to adjust the trajectory of the bombs they were launching in order to cause even more destruction in the capital. Chapman continued to communicate with the Abwehr and sent them false information about the effectiveness of the V-1 bomb raids. He told them that the bombs were going past London, which led them to recalculate the distance when firing their weapons, meaning they landed away from the city and caused far less damage. Hundreds of bombs were fired, and countless lives were saved when they landed in less populated areas, but the Germans believed they were hitting the mark each and every time. Chapman's MI5 handler, Ronnie Reed, was assigned a new role in 1944. As a token of their friendship, Chapman gave Reed the Iron Cross he had been presented by the German Secret Service. While the Reed family still have the medal, it is believed Chapman made money selling at least three fake versions of the award. As the war ended, Chapman's services were no longer needed. He was far too unpredictable to remain an MI5 agent, so he was let go, with thousands of pounds in cash from both the British and German Secret Service. So where are we now? Eddie Chapman did not remain idle for long. He went back to earning money through illegitimate sources and petty crime. He also did not return to Norway and his love Dagmar. 
she ended up being charged in court for supposedly collaborating with a Nazi. No one made contact to tell the authorities there that Chapman was in fact a British double agent. Dagmar never did find true love again. Chapman did have one woman he wanted to return to, though. He wrote, Uppermost in my mind was the desire to find Betty, my girl whom I had last seen when I dived through a hotel window before my arrest in Jersey. Chapman went to great lengths to try and find her, even hiring private investigators. After six years apart, he tracked her down in London. It took time for Betty Farmer to forgive Chapman for deceiving her years earlier, and she struggled to believe that he had left his philandering ways behind him. However, she agreed to marry Eddie Chapman in October 1947. His friend from Jersey, Tony Faramus, who had been kept behind as an incentive for Chapman's cooperation as a spy, was liberated from a concentration camp at the end of the war. Even with the horrific treatment and conditions that caused a number of ailments, Tony survived and emigrated to the United States. Chapman began writing about his exploits after the war. He published a series of articles in a French newspaper but was strictly forbidden from releasing anything in the UK under the Official Secrets Act. He was prosecuted and fined under the Act for his attempts to publish his account. He wrote a book called The Eddie Chapman Story in 1954 with journalist Frank Owen. This was heavily censored in the UK, but more detailed editions were published in the United States because the Official Secrets Act had no leverage there. A movie based on Chapman's story was made in 1966, aptly called Triple Cross. Despite his continuing infidelity and numerous affairs, Betty and Eddie Chapman stayed together for the rest of their lives and had a daughter. They travelled the globe on a yacht Chapman had been given by the Germans, and Chapman occasionally made headlines getting into fights and being charged with assault, but he remained a free man. Senior War Office members had given him a character reference at one point, which likely explains why Chapman never got the chance to testify under oath and reveal the nature of his spy work. Returning to crime came naturally for Chapman, who was also suspected of smuggling and a plot to kidnap a sultan. After his death in 1997 at the age of 83, almost 2,000 pages from the MI5 files were declassified and made public, shining light on an extraordinary life of a man who stumbled out of a life of crime and into the role of a war hero. In an interview with The Express in 2007, Chapman's widow Betty said, Really, looking back on our life together, we did so much. I was cramming things in right up until Eddie died, 
I spent my life keeping him on the straight and narrow, but without him now is like losing a limb. You have so much responsibility, and then you don't have it. It's gone. It was a job for life. Detailed accounts of Chapman's story have also been written in books by Ben McIntyre, Nicholas Booth and Eddie Chapman's wife, Betty. Chapman was a polarising character during his life. As MI5 refused to corroborate his story, he was portrayed as a criminal who had simply betrayed his country and worked for the Nazis before he was caught by British intelligence. The MI5 colonel known as Tin Eye said of Chapman, Fiction has not and probably never will produce an espionage story to rival in fascination and improbability the true story of Edward Chapman, whom only war could invest with virtue. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for supporting the podcast. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.